Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. Today, I'm talking to Jamie Attenberg about her new novel, All This Could Be Yours, which is out now from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. You can find a complete transcript and a list of all the books mentioned today linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So a few years ago, when Jamie Attenberg's novel All Grown Up came out, she did a tour of the South and she stopped here in Greenville at Fiction Addiction. And I was able to meet her and she did a reading and answered questions about her book, but also Sid, her magnificent dog was there as well, which was fabulous. So I really wanted to talk to her on the podcast ever since. So I'm so happy that this has finally happened. Uh, A little bit about Jamie before we jump into the conversation. Uh, She has written about food, travel books, relationships, and urban life uh, for all different types of publications. And her books have been published all over the world, including Italy, Portugal, Hungary, Holland, Russia, and China, and many, many other places. She has published many novels, including The Middle Steins, St. Maisie, All Grown Up, which I previously mentioned, and now All This Could Be Yours, which is her first book set in New Orleans, where she now lives. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Jamie Attenberg. Uh, Well, Jamie, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, Welcome. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. I feel like we need to start out with might possibly be the most important question of our conversation is how is Sid doing uh, your puggle? He's, <laughs> he's snoozing in the other room on my bed in a big pile of blankets. It's a little, it's a little <laughs> chilly here today. So he's kind of, you know, clinging for warmth. I live in a, in an old house that doesn't have a lot of warmth. So he's all cuddled up. Yeah, Dylan always hibernates um, from the time it gets below 60. Um, and then he has three weeks in spring and three weeks in fall where he's happy. But otherwise, he's like burrowing or, yes. you know, trying to find a cool place. <laughs> Woes of dogs living in the South. Yeah. But I had the great fortune of meeting Sid when you were doing your book tour for All Grown Up and you drove through Greenville and you stopped at Fiction Addiction and you brought Sid and I was overjoyed. Uh, well, Sid, he's like, he was like really as I got as much out of him on that tour as I could. I mean, it was a rough one for the kid, but he, he survived. So now, uh, your next novel, uh, is all this could be yours. And I think you just finished your book tour for this one. I did. I have uh, a reading tonight here in New Orleans and then another one on Monday in New Orleans, but all the out of town stuff is, is done for the, for the year. So it's great. Great. Happy to be home. One of the things that I found absolutely fascinating about this book is that it's set in New Orleans and you recently in the last few years moved to New Orleans. So I wanted to start out a little bit of why New Orleans and was it a little intimidating to write a novel set in your new home? Yeah. I mean, it took me a couple of years to really get revved up to write about it. And I passed about a lot of different ideas, but I was feeling kind of insecure about writing about New Orleans because it is a very particular place and people feel really protective of it. Uh, but then, I don't know, I just sort of realized one day that nobody else was going to give me permission but myself. And I just kind of went for it. 
So living in New Orleans, how does that change your perspective on, on writing or literature? How is the process of writing about New Orleans a little different than, say, maybe writing about New York City? Well, obviously, there's just the familiarity. I mean, I lived in New York City for 16 years, so I didn't really think twice about writing about the city uh, because I just had so many... I knew what the city looked like, and I had had a history with the city. So even if, even though I wasn't writing autobiographical work while I was there, I just felt there was just an ease with it. So here, I I would say um, I it w- I was much more uncomfortable with writing about it initially. But I actually think that the fresh perspective gives me a different um, kind of writing relationship with the city than somebody who had lived here for who's lived here their entire life. Like you just see things differently because you're seeing things with a fresh eye. Whereas, and so the same could be said in New York city where I could have written about it forever and ever and ever, but I don't know if I was seeing anything new in the city, even though that city is constantly changing. And this story uh, in all this could be yours is about a family. And I believe part of the family, if not most of them are new to New Orleans, at least in the last several years. So they're also bringing that fresh eye to the location. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and in fact, I think it was helpful to me to, to, you know, in particular, there's one character, Barbara, who has moved down there in the last couple of years, who's married to Victor, who's the patriarch of the family who has a heart attack at the beginning of the book. And Barbara moves down there with him at kind of not unwillingly, but it's not really where she wants to be. And she doesn't really feel New Orleans. Like a lot of people come down here and really fall in love with the city. And so I think because I was writing about it from her kind of gimlet eye about the place that it, I was able to, even if I was kind of discussing, you know, traditional, you know, tropes about New Orleans or cliches about New Orleans to have it through the, you know, through the eye of somebody who doesn't, who isn't in love with it um, and can be critical of it. I think it helped me to write about the city in a, in a non cliched way. And you just mentioned Barbara, who is the matriarch of this family. I love how intricately drawn the entire family is, but when you went into this idea for this novel. Uh, what did you know about this book going into it? Well, I had a good idea. You know, my work is really character driven. So I had an idea of who the family was. I, um, I knew that there was, I knew that Victor existed. I knew that Barbara existed. I knew that Alex, their daughter existed. I, she was the first character that showed up in the book for me. So she showed me that those two characters existed. Um, I knew that there was a sister-in-law, Twyla, that existed and a brother, Gary. So I knew the core family that was there, and that was my starting my starting place. And even though I didn't know everything about them, I didn't know all their secrets, like I had a, I had a pretty good idea of who they were. Even though they were not like anyone I knew, and they're certainly not like my family, I, for, I just had a, a familiarity with them almost almost right away. And I was interested, you know, I, I was like I had a first impression of them and I wanted to get to know them better. And so I wrote a book about them to get to know them better. And one of the things that I love about this book is how it is sort of like this, I'm almost like a mosaic of this family because the different chapters are from different perspectives and you kind of get uh, a view on the patriarch Victor is a story about their experience with this type of man who's very abusive in different ways. Did you know that all that part of the story going into it or did you learn parts of the different family member story as you were writing it? The kaleidoscopic 
vision or um, that is just sort of was natural and kind of evolved like the, st- the style of the book evolved as I was writing it. But in terms of knowing all the stories about the whole family, I mean, I knew that Victor was bad. <laughs> I knew that Barbara was complicit, but also perhaps a victim. I knew that Alex questioned it, but she had her own hypocritical moments that, I mean, I knew that, but it was, you know, writing a book is about uncovering these kinds of details. I didn't map the book out in any way. I just knew who the characters were and I just went with it. I found how these characters are so interwoven with their lives together. And even by the end of the book, they're still very closely tied in a lot of different ways because of the actions of this one man. Uh, But we never get his perspective and how things went. We just see how he's affected the world around him. I mean, I wasn't really interested in him, you know, like I was interested in him to a certain extent, but I wasn't interested in writing things from his perspective in any way, shape or form, because I feel like we've really heard enough from these kinds of men in the world. I'm really over these kinds of men, but also I needed to show what kind of damage they do. So he was, he was necessary to the story. Um, but I was mostly just interested in the family members. So when you're, when you're structuring a book in this kind of mosaic type format, what was your process of deciding how the story would be told? Because there are also flashbacks, but we also have this, I guess, more present narrative where Durs had a heart attack, he's in the hospital, and the family's deciding what they're going to, to do about it, as it were. Um, I, let's see, process. I mean, it was very organic for me. I mean, I basically what I knew was, um, when I was structuring the book was that I was going to have most of the book happen over the course of a day and then it would be broken into morning, noon and night. I I don't know. I'd always wanted, I think I've always wanted to write a book like that, that was like within a really specific time constraint. Uh, cause I think it sets the stakes, makes the stakes really urgent at the beginning of the book. So mostly the book is that way. So I knew that I knew that. And so, so because if you have something that's really urgently set in the present tense, then you have to make room for the past. Right. So like not a lot happens in a way in the present tense of the book. And most of it seems to happen actually in the past tense of the book. That was just natural storytelling, flashing back on those kinds of things. Like it was just, the answers weren't going to be in the present tense. The answers were going to be in the past. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is our Patreon page. Last year, we started a campaign to increase our support so that we could provide transcripts for every episode of the podcast. And I am pleased to say that we have done that uh, ever since we launched the project. We've been able to maintain that. And that's thanks to our wonderful patrons. And we are forever grateful for them helping us keep the podcast uh, free to everyone and also accessible to as many people as possible. As a thank you, I really want to do something special this year with our patrons. So I started a Patreon exclusive podcast and that episode comes out once a month and it's like an hour or an hour and a half. Uh, But this goes straight to the patrons over there and there's all sorts of different ways that you can plug it into your podcast app of choice. But that episode is the first half. It's talking to a team member, uh, more so a team member that isn't regularly on the podcast. So in the most recent episode, I talked to Beth Frank, who edits our transcripts, and she talks about how she edits the transcripts, what she looks for, and all the different things that go into doing that part of our uh, production process. 
The second half is a patron. I talk to patrons from around the world and it's been so wonderful to get to know you guys. And the second patron that we've interviewed is Shelby Cole. And I love talking to all of these wonderful patrons. If you'd like to become one of our patrons, head over to Patreon. There will be a link in the show notes of this episode. And thanks again to our patrons for making the show possible. We are forever grateful. One of the things I just keep thinking about is also other parts of the family who's married into it. So Twyla, she is possibly my favorite character in the whole book. Um, She, you know, she went to Hollywood to try to become a makeup artist and different things. But there's this moment where she's in the drugstore and piling up all these different types of makeup items. And that that just stays with you that kind of process of her mind but also like we all I feel like we all know a Twyla or have been Twyla um, at some point in our lives yeah um, it's funny who relates to Twyla some people do and some people don't relate to Twyla um, I she was very foreign to me in a lot of ways although I definitely have spent time in an aisle at the CVS <laughs> in my life. But um, in other ways, I'm very much not like her. But I have heard from lots of women that they really identify with her. I'm still waiting to hear from some men that they identify with her, although I'm, I know that that's coming because it, it just always does. Um, you, I'm always, I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised anymore by who connects with what. I mean, I've had women tell me they identify with Victor already. So especially if you're, I think if you're in the South, uh, I had a lot of Southern women say, well, I'm not her, but I definitely knew like a lot of Twilos when I was growing up. Definitely. And I I think that the fact she comes from a rural background and is, well, there's a class difference between she and, um, you know, she's married into this family. And I feel like that that sometimes comes through and that's part of her struggle to fit into the family is trying to understand them, but there's such a, a difference. I'm trying to jump around spoilers. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> usual. I know it's so tricky. I'm glad I appreciate you not spoiling the book. Um, because I don't usually have books that have a lot that happen in them. I'm most <laughs> so are really about small emotional movements, if anything else, if anything. And so to have a book that sort of has like a juicier plot and, it's just, a, you know, I really wanted to make something that was, you know, even though, you know, so much of the action takes place in the past, I think that there are a few kind of gasp worthy moments in this book. And I just want people to enjoy those, those moments. I really was trying <laughs> this time to do it. I mean, ordinarily, I just like let the characters do whatever, but I was a little bit more active, active in trying to make, and actually, I mean, I just think it was story was, that's the way the story was. Like it just wanted to be that way. You mentioned that you look at different characters and I always feel like when I read your books that even characters that may make poor decisions or et cetera, but there's always like, you kind of have some sort of sympathy for them or, or empathy towards them. But, you know, a Victor is just, I feel like this flat out like villainy kind of character. And I was recently listening to an interview with Ann Patchett about the Dutch house and how she's written this character. And she's very proud. She can finally do like some sort of villain or something because she does something very similar. Was that something that you were conscious of when you were writing Victor? 
I didn't really know. I was tried to, you know, I tried my best to sort of approach him with a little bit of compassion, but honestly, I couldn't find anything for him. And I'm actually okay with him just being like the bad guy and that's it. And we're done. You know, like it's okay. Like there are a lot of bad guys out there. And I think that our, you know, our culture really just wants to like turn these guys into like some sort of like a Tony Soprano or the guy in succession or whatever, like where you like become very occupied with them and you want to, you know, you almost forgive them in a certain way. And we sort of forget all the bad things that they do. And I just don't think we should be forgetting these bad things that they do. And I don't think that we need to be captivated by them anymore. I think that we can just say, this is a bad person. It's a bad person and it's okay to not like them and it's okay to not forgive them. So the front of the U S cover, um, is a storage unit and the title is all this could be yours. And so I feel like, well, I didn't know anything about the book but I saw the cover and the storage space and I was like, oh, maybe this ha- book has like secret objects that like are passed down in a family or, or different things like that. Did you always know that this was going to be the title or is this something that came to you as you were, you know, in the process of working on the book and different things? So the title, All This Could Be Yours, is actually a reference to Price is Right, a game show, Price is Right, and the very end of Price is Right, where they bring out the all the, the shiny refrigerators and boats and cars and things like that for the showcase showdown. And then somebody says, all this could be yours if the price is right. And it's really a phrase that's stuck in my head since I was a child, because I remember watching that game show when I was a kid, when I was home sick from school and eight years old and staring wide out at a television screen and being like, Oh my gosh, look at that boat. Like, I mean, what would I have done with a boat at the age of eight years old, you know, or a car, but there's something about the way that it's set up that it makes you want these objects. Like it's a very American television show. It's a show about capitalism. It's a show about shopping. It's a show about consumption. And that phrase for better, for worse, and mostly in an ironic way has been stuck in my head since I was a kid. And this book is so much about capitalism and shopping and consumption in its way as an answer to one of the questions that's posed in the book that, that, that title was there almost, I think from the beginning for me. And in fact, it's no, a phrase that is no longer stuck in my head because now it's stuck on the book and it's out. (laughs) I finally figured out what I wanted to do with this, you know, with this sentence or this phrase that I've had in my head for 40 years. And that is to call uh, to use it as a title of a book. And that's one of the things I think about a great title is there are so many different ways that it works with the story that you have created. And so one of the parts of this book that I really loved was how you also kind of zoom, zoom out a little bit. And there are some characters that have um, chapters from their perspective that aren't members of the family, but they're still kind of looking from the outside. And a lot of times I felt like slowly we were pulling back from like, you know, the matriarch and the patriarch to see like on the outside. Did their voices come to you as a process? And like, how is, where did they, I guess, where did these other characters come from? And uh, why did you want to look at him from Uh, you know, a farther back perspective as well from outside the family? Well, I just, you know, they just showed up really. (laughs) So I just had to listen to them. I don't really have much more of an answer than that. Just that they, 
I thought the book was going to be just some characters, the you know, the main family characters and maybe one other. And then as I was writing the book, almost immediately these smaller characters showed up and really had something to say. And, you know, in the first draft, I just tend to listen to whatever wants to show up on the page and see if it's, you know, worth keeping. And they were all worth keeping in their ways, you know. So I just, I, I began to just play with them and use them in different ways. And they were, they were good for the book. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I, I'm sure I could talk to you about these characters all day. Uh, but before you go, I wanted to ask you, um, what are, what are you reading right now? And maybe what are some books that you've read lately that you have just absolutely loved? Well, I mean, the books that I'm, that I've been recommending are the books that came out of New Orleans this year. Um, I, Margaret Wilkerson Sexton's book, The Revisioners, um, Sarah Broom's book, The Yellow House, um, Maurice Ruffin, um, wrote a book called, um, We Cast a Shadow. All of those books I've read and loved and I blurbed all of them as well. And we're all, you know, peers and working at the same time and telling, different stories about New Orleans, but we're all in conversation at the same time. So I, you know, I just really can recommend all of them. If you are, you know, if, if somebody is listening is interested in reading all different kinds of things about New Orleans. Yeah. I, I just finished the revisioners yesterday and was just spellbound like the entire time. That's a really great book. Yeah, she does such a, such a great job. Um, and you know, what are you working on now? Is there anything, um, in particular that you wanted to tackle next? Um, I am going to be working on a nap as soon as I <laughs> get off the Skype with you, uh, because I have been touring for two months and I just need a little time off. So that's, I have an event tonight and then I might have my event on Monday and then three weeks or something like that before I have to think about anything again. I'm really looking forward to not thinking about anything for a while. That definitely sounds like the perfect holiday break. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I always love your books and their characters, which fascinate me to no end. And uh, thank you for writing them. Thank you so much, Kendra. Happy holidays. I'd like to thank Jamie Attenberg for talking to me about her novel, All This Could Be Yours, which is out now from HMH. You can find Jamie on her website, jamieattenberg.com, or on social media at Jamie Attenberg. And of course, all of her information will be linked in the show notes. I'd like to, th- I'd like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. You can find me Kendra at KD Winchester and Reading Woman at readingwomenpodcast.com and on social media at The Reading Woman. And thanks so much for listening.